Welcome to the Capital City Crew Podcast. Join your hosts Jeff, Owen, Josh, and Herman as they dive deep into the game of Malifaux. Explore sophisticated strategies and creative combinations, but always remember in Malifaux, bad things happen. All right. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Capital City Crew Podcast. We are here today to talk to you about the April Fool's Vassal World Series Tournament. And we are joined in studio today uh, with a special guest, our friend from Texas, Andre Demings. Andre. In studio. In, in, yes, in our virtual studio. In virtual Through the magic studio. of the internet. Uh, so welcome, Andre. Welcome to uh, the podcast. And congratulations on, spoiler alert, winning the April Fool's tournament series. Thank you very kindly. It uh, It's great to be on. Um, I When you guys invited me on originally, I was like, a capital city, I've heard of them. And so I had to do like a bunch of research and stuff, um, started listening. But it uh, it's definitely exciting to be on here. And I'm definitely glad to have won the, the tournament. I was not sure it was going to be possible with this Dark Horse Anya pick coming through the ranks, but uh, I managed to pull it out. I never doubted you for a second. <laughs> um, spoiler josh was the dark horse on you pick god yep, there's we'll, just so many spoilers right now i know so many spoilers um but before we get to any more spoilers i just want to put out a big plug and a thank you to uh to nick westbrook and the other mm-hmm. folks who are organizing the vassal world series we talked about it in our last podcast but they have been hard at work since november organizing worldwide events for people on Vassal every month, month in, month out. And it's been it's been awesome. It's been great turnout. I've gotten to play with a guy in Sweden, which is super sweet. Um, we've gotten a ton of amazing data from it that shows that Malfo is actually really balanced in terms of win rates for factions. So they've been doing a stupendous job uh, keeping the meta alive, mixing metas up. So big shout out to them. And... If you listener, uh, by the time you're listening to this, you should be about halfway through the May event. So check the the forums, um, the weird forums in the Vassal sub forum for the latest standings and also for announcements about the next June event, which you can get in on. And we'd love to see you there. So uh, without further ado, let's go to a little segment we like to do each time, which is our 10-minute tech talk. So as is tradition with new guests, Andre has has offered to tell us some of the secrets of his special tech um, of his favorite master. So take it away, Andre. All right. Uh, yeah, th- these tips will be relatively exclusively useful for devoted servants of the god Empress Nakima. But uh, it's also going to be useful if you want to avoid these tips being used against you. Uh, if ever you should fight Nikima in the wild. Um, the first thing that I wanted to bring up is now with Enraged by Insolence being FAQ'd to work again, uh, that is to say now when Nephilim die within six of Nikima and she's taken her bonus action, she can push up to her move and take an attack. Uh, it conveniently does not have the words that would say like killed by enemy model or anything like that. Uh, so what this lets you do, as Josh can tell you from our last game, the... Uh, things like the Bloodhunter can charge into hazardous terrain and die, 
which will let you give free attacks to Nakima, which the cost of a totem for a free master AP out of turn is a pretty significant uh, change for the game, I would say. Cheap potentially shot. two Cheap attacks. Shot. Potentially, potentially two, two attacks. Them. Correct, because it's its own activation, so you could even take the shove aside trigger as well. It's it's a pretty big boon uh, when you need it. Um, and you and you don't even need the hazardous terrain. The hazardous terrain definitely makes it easier, but stampede sure. on on the the totem plus regurgitate lets you do a decent chunk of damage to it uh, very reliably. So it does. Now, tragically, you can't pay the cost for either that ability or regurgitate to actually kill yourself, but it makes you pretty able to uh, die quickly to whatever else you can provoke. Um, even if something as simple as like black blood pustuling the last point, you know, with a shaman or Harridan or anything like that, uh, to start the splash. Uh, and then also the free attack, of course. And the other thing that I enjoy doing very much as a dreaded Nakima main is uh, what I like to call the Terratot slap fight. The, idea is that, of course, you'll never hire Terratots, because why would you? But the uh, option for Harridan to summon them after models have died to black blood gives you the opportunity to have them attack themselves or others, namely probably Matures or Nakima if she's feeling healthy, uh, to do like a poor uh, poor man's pustule, essentially. So they'll run up instead of, you know, I only have bad cards left in hand, I really need that last wound off that hard-to-kill model, instead of actually taking a direct attack, which could conceivably fail, you'll of course just have whatever friendly Nephilim standing nearby to soak an attack, probably take a midpoint of damage, and splash onto that model you needed to kill. Much more reliable, you might even get more tots out of it with Herod and Zara, and, uh, you know... Tears of your foes and all that. So it's definitely something I enjoy doing. That sounds positively nasty. And it it's interesting because I have not actually seen Nephilim in action in third edition, like at all. Like I haven't seen Nakima on the table since Herman liked to to roll with Nakima in second edition. So I can answer why that is. And uh, despite uh, Andre's love of Nakima and being an aficionado with her, most Neverborn players for M2E were not happy that Nakima became a master and then like literally kind of stayed as she was. She got interesting abilities with her crew, but like most people were like, I've played Nakima for the last two or three years. And you literally just said she's a master now without giving her anything else, except throwing a corpse, which didn't come up a whole lot. Uh, I mean, it, it, it it's usable, but it, it wasn't that great. So most people were like, uh, I'm going to go to these newer things like Euripides or, you know, I want to stay with the tried and true dreamer. So a lot of Neverborn players were very upset about Nakima not gaining much. Says Jeff, the Neverborn player. That makes sense. Um, but it sounds like some cool tricks. Like I, I did not actually know that Hayredine summoned Terratots. Like that's a whole new mechanic that didn't exist before. Like I assume they still grow, right? Like they, mm-hmm. they get bigger. Yeah. So that, I mean, that alone sounds like it really increases the crew synergy. Absolutely. I'm a fan of unresistible auto damage. Uh, as is evidenced by playing Anya, so I approve of all of this. I also like it as kind of, it gives, as a Nakima player, people will rightly say that Nakima's play style, while uh, nuanced in mobility, is not very nuanced in what you're doing. Uh, So it gives you kind of a mini game to play with yourself in terms of like, well, I could kill this model with this last sword swing, but it's on a health, no one's going to heal it. I'm going to save that 
model for later and splash on it to get tots um, as kind of a, if you can manage it, a win more mechanic. Um, much like Von Stuck summon kills, you can reasonably assume that uh, getting tots out is obviously going to increase your board positioning. And if nothing else, typically models will die and drop a corpse marker. And at that point, the tots already halfway to being young. And young are some of the most efficient uncard supported minions to just deal damage and take attacks anyway. Um, so I definitely love the ability for Herodin to summon tots. It used to be an ability that Akima had on um, the True Mother upgrade back in second edition of causing ah, Splash to summon tots. Um, but it brings an avenue and a play style that I like a lot more because, at least for me personally, when you hire things like Matures, they're great models and they're worth their stones. But if they drop, it hurts. But if you're like, he's almost dead, but I got these two new tots out, you're like, ah, oh, this isn't so bad. Uh, it, it, it's definitely a morale booster for sure. Nice. Well, listeners, let us know in uh, in the Weird Place post or by email to us or on the forums. Let us know. Give this a try. Uh, tell us your love or hate of Nakima, and uh, maybe we'll do an episode all about her uh, in the future. Uh, all right. So cool. So we're going to get to our main thing, but we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to jump right into, well, actually, not right into the tournament, but like a little bit about like the format of the tournament, how that, what that means in terms of like how we do picks, um, what factions we picked, et cetera, and then we'll get into the rounds. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Hello. Do you like our podcast and want to ensure that it continues to run? Maybe you want to hear our outtakes on unedited footage, or perhaps you're just flush with cash and you like being generous. Either way, we've set up a Patreon just for you. If you like us, please consider donating. Our Patreon can be located in the show notes. If not, we're all pretty sure that it's Harmon's fault. Either way, if you like our show, go ahead and leave us a comment. Thanks. All right, welcome back, folks. So before we get into the rounds and the picks, let's talk a little bit about the format of this. So... This is different than your typical Malifaux tournament. Uh, it's more like kind of like a league, but but done in a tournament style pairing format. So you have one week per game uh, or per round of the game. And folks were paired uh, with potentially people anywhere in the world. So you really needed that week depending on time zones because some time zone differences were potentially upwards of eight hours if you've got like California to Poland or something. Um, so it, it meant that everyone was playing uh, the same round each round and being in Vassal, it actually created a dynamic that doesn't exist in person, which is that everyone played the exact same map. Um, usually maps are ra effectively random uh, at a tournament. Um, you might have some sort of like the top table is X or Y, but like usually you're, you're effectively random there. But in this, you got to know exactly the map and everyone played the exact same map. I'd be curious to know, did, do you all think that that, or what sort of effect, if any, you think that might've had on the game? Oh, consistency is nice. Uh, so you, everyone does get to look at the map and be like, oh, this map was designed by a guild player or this map is going to make Fuhatsu overpowered kind of kind of comments that you see going through the uh, 
the the discord and you know in many cases they're not wrong i think that actually gives an opportunity though when you it gives you a chance when you see a map and you're like hey fuhatsu or somebody with range is going to uh, be really good on this map it lets you like uh, first of all you can see the map ahead of time usually like several days ahead of time so you can adjust your crew maybe bring in some more things with concealing bringing your own terrain but it also lets you change up your tactics some uh i wish there was a mechanic in Malifaux where in the beginning you got to uh effectively decide who picks sides first and you could potentially cheat that uh but in this someone was designated as the attacker and someone was the defender so if you were the uh, attacker uh you got to choose uh where you were going to deploy so that was a pretty interesting mechanic there Uh, andre uh i would say what i really like about it in comparison to like normal live tournaments is there's never going to be a situation in which you're bringing a crew based on you know, what you suspect your opponent will bring and then the schemes and strats and then show up to a table and realize that your crew just cannot play on this table. Like if you're a Marshall fanatic and you're like, oh, dude, I'm playing into Terra, you know, my recruiter's going to be able to hit things in space. This is going to be awesome. And then you see them all, you know, a table with a bunch of severe terrain and you have to get across the center line like that blows. But with Vassal, knowing what each map is going to be exactly in advance, lets you kind of say, well, you know, I'm going to have to put the marshals aside, bring base so that I can ignore some of that severe terrain and get further up the board. So I really like it from a competitive standpoint that you don't just kind of get, uh, you know, a throw of the dice to see if the board supports your kind of crew's play style. And the Vassal uh, tournament organizers put out the packet with the maps in it uh, at the beginning of the month. So you do have plenty of time to look at that and consider uh what you're going up against and uh, what you can bring. I'll also put in a plug just for Vassal as a format. It has the advantage of, it's really nice to be able to screenshot uh, what's happening. If if you're going to write a battle report, you have a perfectly pretty picture. Um, Andre today before this podcast actually was in the middle of his next leave game and was able to save the game and come back to it. Like how awesome is that? Like you can't do that in, in real life if you have to like, you know, go get dinner or something. So, um, so there's definitely a lot of, of awesome pros to Vassal. Um, although we can't wait to also get back in person. And if anybody's listening right now, that likes coding things. Uh, if somebody would uh, be able to code something for Vassal that recorded the actions that you take, uh, so that battle reports can be given easier, that would be a very helpful tool. Like, you know, hey, this person moved here, and it just, you know, like model moved X, and then these cards were flipped. Like, that would be really interesting, and I'm sure uh, that the players as well as potentially Weird would be interested in that. Actually, yeah, how cool would that be if you could just, I mean, even if even if nothing other than sort of like a replay of the actions, so you could just sort of see that as a video of like, boop, 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 like life, this guy dies, uh, this guy moves, like see that sort of happening in a playback format, which is obviously in the in Vassal because you have the back button, which re- rewinds every move. So you could probably do it. Anyways. We don't need to talk, sing the praises of Vassal too much. Um, let's talk about what did you all pick going into this sort of last... Well, we didn't know at the start whether it was still going to be Gaining Grounds 1 
and like when Gaining Grounds 2 was going to drop, all of us uh, were in the beta. So we knew what was coming and we thought that it was going to drop. And I think the organizers also thought it was going to drop right at the beginning, uh, but didn't end up dropping until round four. So everyone was like, it was round three, actually. But yes, it dropped in the middle of round three, but they didn't change the mission mid mid round. So like everyone was just kind and of we like, appreciate that. <laughs> we do. Yeah. But everyone was kind of waiting to see like, what is it coming this week? Is it coming this week? So what were your all's thoughts in terms of faction picks, like what your goals were for, for going into this? Oh, um, for me, knowing as a beta tester what was coming, I was eager on both sides of GG1 and GG2. Um, going into GG1, Dreamer was crazy strong. And there's there's this kind of runner's high of being able to lucid dream all of your weeks out of your deck and then just crushing it. And so I knew that GG1 was going to be strong. And then kind of having the peek ahead to know that the mechanics and the interpretation of the word another would really combine well for Nakima. Uh, I knew that even if it dropped in the middle of the tournament, I would still be really happy to continue to play Neverborn. Um, so it, Neverborn was a for sure pick for me. And I, like I said, I wanted to catch Nakima's rise to power with the new GG. And I knew it was good. I was for sure hoping that it would drop that month. So that's why I chose Neverborn. How about you, Josh? Well, this was sort of the like capstone of my extended experiment in playing Anya a, a whole bunch. So I was like, I'm just going to take her and main her through the entire tournament. I'm just going to run her, run her face first into every single uh, Stratton scheme pool and see how she does. Uh, I was pretty excited for the changes to uh, Torge in a way because she has a union buster gets to exploit a lot of that on a regular basis to really have some potential for some careful tactical positioning. Like I was like, Oh man, if I go up against like Jedza, I can use a way to carefully position models outside of her aura so that I would then be able to kill them and deny, uh, deny Jedza her protective uh, uh, features because of the way that I can push things using towards and away. So I was stoked for that. Uh, I went the opposite way uh, of Andre. I knew what was coming and I was doing this as a last hurrah for my uh, Explorer Society before I switched back to Neverborn. Uh, I had already been getting, I've been playing Explorer Society for about a year now and I was already getting the itch of wanting to go back. I missed Dreamer. I miss Zoraida. I love Zoraida and I'm looking forward to getting back and playing more games with my Neverborn. But uh, I knew uh, for a while that uh, what was going to be happening to explore society, particularly the focus change. And uh, I started off this uh, game thinking I was going to be playing uh, Ivan throughout the whole tournament. Uh, but midway through, I decided, you know what, I'm going to play the last two games with other masters that I love and just be done and move back. So that's kind of what I, my thought process was. And as for me, um, so I initially was thought, and I talked to the guys, I was like, all right, is this when I finally just solo the VIX and an effort to get enough reps to, for us to record a podcast about it? But I, I keep always feeling like, yeah, I'm going to play the VIX. And then I'm like, ah, they just, I don't know if they're great for this mission. Uh, so I was like, all right, I'll play Outcast because that's my main faction. And we'll kind of let the chips fall as they may, depending on the matches. Um and like when we get when we talk about round one, well, actually we can I guess just 
segue into round one, um, and I'll go first. But uh, for round one, Jeff, having uh, played a lot of Explorer Society, he was like, hey, what? I was like, what, what do you think people are going to bring? And he's like, I think Ivan for round one. So I was like, okay, I'm playing against Explorer Society. I'm going to go with Von Schill because um, I hadn't played a lot of Von Schill. It had been a while. Um, and he has some anti-concealing tech. So I thought that would be pretty cool. Um, also, why don't, for the benefit of the listeners, I'll just recap the mission for round one, which was wedge symbols uh, with leave your mark, assassinate, research mission, hidden martyrs, and sabotage. So my thought process was, all right, wedge, wedge is not bad. It, it actually could potentially be a VIX uh a Vix game, but Von Schill also doesn't mind being in the middle. Symbols, you've got some options to protect your own stuff. Uh, you've got some tricks with being able to use Hannah and the Midnight Soccer to get like a free teleport and move your guys forward to try to take symbols. Um, but mostly I thought around counterplay, I thought I was going to be facing Ivan. So I was like, let's take a bunch of scouts who ignore concealing and say, you know, get wrecked. I'm shooting rocket launchers at all your stupid guys and using Eric to uh, prevent summoning. Um, but spoiler alert, it didn't happen. Uh, it was Nexus instead, uh, which still has summoning. So Eric helped. Um, and I still got to shoot rocket launchers and things. So that was cool. But uh, my opponent in this round, uh, Joseph, who's, super awesome to play against. He, this was like one of his first games with Nexus. So props to him for trying to learn a super complicated master uh, in a tournament setting. So I think that that put him a little bit on the back foot. So I was able to take it um, four three because we had to end due to time. Um, but it ended up working out okay. I don't know whether it would have worked out okay against someone who had a lot of reps of Nexus, but uh, I'm, I'm maybe on the Von Schill hype train now after that. Uh, Jeff, how about you? So uh, going into this, the reason why I thought Ivan was going to be a good pick is just be, between uh, Ava, English Ivan being able to place and uh, somebody bringing in Calypso as a side. It's just a easy uh, symbols grab and go. Uh, for them, uh, especially with the map, there was a lot of blocking terrain that was on the map where Eva could just jump to it. Uh, and, you know, she has, uh, I brought Winston in for this. Um, and in my game, uh, I played uh, Ben Jules, who's actually one of, on, on the committee for uh, the leagues. Uh, and great guy, uh, super awesome to play against. Uh, but in the end, uh, he played, um, Gil, he chose Guild. And I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to be expecting Guild to bring. Uh, he brought in Dashel. Uh, Dashel is actually super strong right now. Uh, I think he uh, accomplishes a lot. Uh, and between uh, Dashel summoning and the Lone Marshal uh, coming out, and basically uh, I summoned every round, and the Lone Marshal killed it every round. So, like, before it got to activate. That's just how things go. Uh, but the the game plan going into it worked out, and uh, I basically won on the strategy uh 
he denied the last point of the strategy by uh, he it was in a very far corner and he went and stuck all of his models next to that thing like you're not going to get this and I'm like you're right I'm not going to get it I'm going to go get my strat points or my uh, scheme points and that's kind of how the game ended but uh, great guy to play against uh, and uh, the tech Owen was alluding to earlier is uh, giving your uh, uh, with Von Schell giving your scouts the rocket launcher so they ignore concealment and shoot you with the rockets because for some strange reason rockets ignore concealment when the scouts shoot them so it's interesting but uh yeah they're very they're precision rockets with their scope you know how about you josh see i was on the other side of the table from von schill in my game uh going up against uh dan brown who was one of the organizers of the uh, uk masters um I was really worried going into this because, uh, you know, Eric's in keyword for for uh, Von Schill, and he's really annoying against the 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 kind of uh, Anya crew that I play. I've played against him uh, against Eric before, and it, he you can play around him. You just have to do it, and it's something I was thinking about a lot. And then when we got down to our crews, he didn't take Eric. He instead took uh, he took Mad Dog. Uh, to get through probably Sovereign and the Emissary's armor, which is a, a, a good pick, but instead of a game of me trying to dance around Eric and throw him out of position so I can use my place effects, it was a game of me repeatedly engaging Mad Dog so that he can't shoot me. Or if he does shoot me, just dump the attack off onto the Emissary who can either make it miss, have the wounds to soak it, uh, or Eric have the wounds to soak it. He did try to box uh, or, or bury the emissary on several occasions with with hannah and glimpse of the void which was a good trick but i saw that one coming so i was able to stop it uh while uh ava did uh, my scheme running um her being able to teleport and also having don't mind me was was clutch and i was able to to take the game and uh have the the joy of lobbing uh Hulk Hogan into hazardous terrain and then putting him through the wood chipper, which was just extremely satisfying. Yeah. Well, it got you an eight, one win, which catapulted you up for, to, for to the, the, the heights of, of terrified people who, will, uh, who I successfully beat by virtue of, uh, some misplays on their part and good luck online. Yeah. But we'll get to that in later rounds. How about you, Andre? Uh, for round one, I chose Dreamer because this was GG1 and I was still high on the opiate of lucid dreaming. Um, I also knew, so Radek is a very good player, uh, but he also fam- knew of my famous hatred for Nexus. Uh, so right off the bat, he messaged me like, hey, we're playing round one together. I'm playing Nexus. And I was like, okay. So Dreamer, I knew would be like my best shot at beating Nexus. Uh, so that's what I locked in um, just because... Nexus relies on a lot of simple duels to try and get you parasited up, and Dreamer's good about not failing those. Um, I chose Leave Your Mark because it's Leave Your Mark, and you should always take that unless you're just playing into some kind of scheme marker god. Uh, and then I took Hidden Martyrs on Stitched uh, because Stitched can attack people, intentionally fail the duel, and then die for Hidden Martyrs. Um, that ended up working out pretty well. I will say that Reddick uh, has utterly destroyed me on some occasions, but this was not one of them. The uh, crew that he took didn't feature some of the key pieces that I consider Nexus to require, uh, which is either the Effigy or the Emissary, uh, which he didn't have, or the uh, Cryptologist to double his Berserker Husk production rate, uh, which he did not have either. Um, 
So with those pieces, I was less afraid of what could come. And then with, you know, the mobility of Insidious Madnesses and Daydreams, I was able to take the symbols pretty quickly uh, while kind of mulching through his front line uh, with stitched together duels and all that fun stuff. Um, and the relatively universally low willpower of Nexus's crew, if not Nexus and the Archivist. And I've said this before on this podcast, uh, Nexus and generally a lot of Explorer Society is terrified of terrifying. Insidious Madness is, you just, you can't imagine how many terrifying duels Explorer Society, in particular Nexus crew, fails due to terrifying. Yeah, and typically Nexus players feel confident that Berserker Husk's Ruthless will carry the day, but if you can just keep beating on their Willpower 3, like having to divvy out all that damage into their crew with like stitched gamble your lives and things like that and hard to wound becoming less and less of a factor as the weeks get siphoned. Um, it's basically Nexus summons dreamer summons, but dreamers deck gets hotter too. So that's pretty much what carried me for that round one. Yeah. makes sense. So there's a seven, two finish. And this is one where I actually ended up taking hidden martyrs because I figured because I was taking scouts who are going to be, or at least one would be somewhat forward deployed. I figured he was going to bite it probably pretty quick. Like he was going to go for a symbol, get a symbol, and then probably get immediately eaten by the Nexus bubble, which is what happened. So, uh, so got the point. Um, and then I took the prospector who is always going to be backfield, but actually has decent movement tech, uh, it just you don't usually use it because they just hang out drawing cards in the backfield. But I was like, all right, well, I can zoom him up, you know, give him rocket boots, uh, get up there. Um, but didn't end up making it far enough in the game to do that second point. But it's an interesting tech. Um, all right, so we're gonna we're gonna leave it there for round one. So at the end of round one, uh, all of us won our games. So good. Uh, in a good spot, uh, some more than others, or har- harder wins than others. So uh, we're going to go to a quick break, and we come back, we're going to go through the rest of the rounds um, and tell us about, or tell you all about our picks. So stick with us. We'll be right back. And we're back. On to round two. Uh, the setup for this one, the mission was uh, corrupted lilons with corner deployment. The schemes were take prisoner, vendetta, spread them out, let them bleed, and claim jump. So I'll start off with this round. Uh, again, unsurprisingly, picked Anya. Still going for the solo. In this one, uh, I was actually uh, paired up against Landon Sheehan, the uh, guy we had on the podcast to talk about Jacob Lynch. And he was playing Jacob Lynch. This this actually was a really strange mirror match for my last game with, uh, with Landon, which was a flank uh, corrupted ley lines of Anya versus Jacob Lynch. <laughs> so I knew some of the stuff that he was planning, uh, at least in terms of his, uh, his scheme runner. Which again, sticking with the one one Udo to rapidly move across the board. Um, I was expecting that, and I, I decided to not make the mistakes that I made in my my previous game with him, and I took uh, Calypso and the Good Doctor to to do a lot of my scheme running because what's better than 
12 inches of movement in a round for one guy, 24. Uh, and this, this crew that I was phasing off against him was his last hurrah of the uh, samurais with trained ninja being placed right next to your deployment zone and sh- having the uh, ninja guns go burr all over you. Um, so I had to deal with two of those right in my face right from the get-go. Um, to try to counter the rest of his crew, I had brought Vernon and Wells for the negative uh, flip to uh, willpower duels to try to make it less likely that he's going to obey me, or at least not obey me on a positive flip uh, by consuming my billions. Um, and by uh, my opponent's admission, he felt as though he lost the game from deployment, which... I guess is the risk that comes with the the double ninja samurai uh, tactic that he had placed one of his samurai in sort of an awkward corner, and as a result, uh, it failed to take out uh, failed to take out Vernon and Wells during its activation, and then for the rest of the game, it was kind of off where it couldn't really do very much, and I then spent the time uh, basing the other samurai to keep it from shooting everyone and had just an incredibly lucky turn of it trying to disengage from Mikhail and him getting, or me getting double moderates on my negative flip disengage duels twice to completely tie it up. So it, it couldn't get away and it was then take torn to pieces by a combined effort of, uh, Mikhail and Anya, uh, beating it with the swords and shoving it through hazardous terrain. I think the the ultimate uh, disrespect, unfortunately, because no disrespect, Lynn, because he's a great guy and was a great opponent, was killing the the samurai with uh, Sovereign's uh, auto damage trigger on uh, Fly with Me to just casually wipe it off the board, um, and then I went on to take out have Anya go up and kill the one Yudo, and once that guy was done, it was all sort of fell apart from there, and I got I ended up with a six three win out of that one. Dang. It was a red joker saved in my hand from the beginning of the game to win initiative on turn three to take out the Wen Yudo. So I was just sitting there waiting for that moment. That'll do it. So I had pretty much the opposite experience of you. Uh, so this is when my, my fortunes for this tournament uh, went in the opposite direction. So again, I was paired with explorers. Uh, and this time I figured, all right, for sure, this is going to be either Nexus or or Ivan. Um, and so I thought, all right, well, who do I want to take? Let's let's mix things up. This might be the last game of GG1. Why don't I go with uh, with my girl Tara? Um, so why Tara? Well, she is pretty mo- she's pretty mobile. Um, this map was going to involve. Uh, a bunch of like random walls in places and some weird building ruins. So she has a teleport. Um, I took out of key, well, versatile. I took in Hans because I wanted to do some ignore uh, concealing against um, all of the concealing Ivan guys um, and wanted to be able to like stay at range to try to pick people off. Um, And I took Eric as well out of keyword to try to prevent summoning. So the, the game plan was basically summon, 
you know, the usual thing, like summon guys, be able to jump through the hazard terrain in the buildings, etc., um, and and try to take them out. Uh, unfortunately, the I could not hit a model to save my life, uh, and I got in my own way. Like I moved, I held the nothing beast, I moved it into the middle of my crew, and then like did not think about the fact that it being height three blocks line of sight from Eric to Aonis, which now means a Brock inspector was coming out in the middle of my crew. Uh, so I was like, as soon as I did it and like passed, I was like, Oh, Oh no, what have I done? So of course Brock inspector comes out and then like no one can hit it. Like everyone whiffs. Um, Tara took five back to back attacks against the Brock inspector. And it was always severe for terrifying a two to attack severe for terrifying a three to attack severe for terrifying on the fifth attack. I flip like a 10 to pass the terrifying. And I flip like, I don't know, like a 10 or an eight or something to, to hit. And I'm like, all right, this is, I'm going to do some damage. I hit it. Black Joker for damage. And I'm just like, oh, oh my God. So, of course, the Brocken then turns around and is like, yeah, Aonis, like that guy who's really important to your crew who was secretly chosen as the claim jump target. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill him in one go. Uh, so turn one, I was down a henchman, my claim jump, uh, and it just like, it just went way downhill from there very quickly with everyone dying and like multiple Brock inspectors. Like it was... It was a mess. So Ivan, very good. Definitely need to practice against it. Uh, Jeff, how did explorers treat you? Uh, actually, I think we're going to go over. Uh, Andre is going to put in his inputs. Andre, how did Neverborn treat you? Uh, like a dream, of course. Uh, so I once again. So that's uh, we. I, I even got my game in on Tuesday because I was afraid it was going to drop on Waldo Wednesday. And uh, I went with Dreamer, and it was into a Maw player on Bayou. And uh, this unfortunate gentleman had just played into me. He's a he's a guy from the Pacific Northwest meta, and we had gotten a game in in a league that they were hosting. Um, and I had done the exact same kind of Dreamer build into him, and it didn't go well. And so this was kind of his his rematch round, and um, it it still did not go terribly well for him. Um, Basically, what it came down to is Bayou's universal lack of high willpower and fighting the Dreamer as his lucid dreams get hotter and hotter. Uh, I will say, though, that he did give me a run for my money in the first couple of turns uh, just because I had to play like my entire game plan handed Cinder around the fear that Trixabel was going to lure me off of the corrupted idol or the corrupted leyline markers. And so I had to build like a wall of dudes around each corrupted ley line to make sure that she couldn't see the model that needed to be lured. Um, and then between that and like the daydreams moving stuff around. Um, uh, I will say though, that whatever model you think is most lethal in dreamer, uh, it's, it's actually daydreams. Uh, those guys would flip severe for damage on nags or the red, like every third attack. Uh, and so it was just like huge chunks were getting taken out of models from three stone support minions uh and 
I, you know, I'm glad it's gone. Lucid Dreaming was dumb, but man, it was awesome when you got to use it. Uh, <laughs> you just made Teddy cry by making that statement. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Teddy, Teddy needs to step up his game. Like, I can literally hire three of those things and still have the stone left over. Like, it's no comparison. But uh, yeah, the game ended up going 8-3 to me. Um, there was some blow for blows. And he, t- he actually ended up taking out one of my Insidious Madnesses unexpectedly early with a Bushwhacker. Um, but you know, the summon game is strong and it was, it was able to close out, uh, eight, three in my favor. And to wrap up this round, uh, I played, uh, English Ivan into this, uh, and my thought was in corner. Well, I was at the time I was going to be playing English Ivan through the whole tournament, but, uh, we, it was corner and I have an interesting unpack with Ivan where I take two, uh, nocturnes and in the first uh, activation, uh, the uh, person holding the stone uh, is a nocturne. He makes uh, Gibson DeWalt move forward and then walks his way up to wherever he needs to be to be in range of putting the stone in. And then following that, uh, Gibson DeWalt goes, puts down a shadow marker and links it in uh, with another shadow marker that's six inches up the board. Uh, and then he gives, uh, depending on what your cards look like, uh, he gives the Brock, in, uh, Brock Inspector fast uh, and focused. And uh, I forgot what else I did with him on that turn. But following that, another Nocturne pushes both English Ivan, who is an Umber model, and the Brock Inspector forward. And they both get teleported up the board. And then following that, uh, uh, Winston Finnegan picks up uh, one of the remaining models that's left behind, drops it on the... Um, shadow marker, which then teleports both of them up the board when you have the uh, the crow for you. So basically, in your first activation, uh, your Brock Inspector, English Ivan, and another model have not gone yet, but you have three models that are nine inches up the board ready to uh, go to work. And I'm like, hey, this is this is I gotta get, get to test this out. This is gonna work really well. Unfortunately, my opponent was playing uh, also Explorer Society and declared Maxine Agassi, and. Uh, Spoiler for this one, uh, Harada makes English Ivan not very good. Uh, he's got an interesting aura where uh, all of the either EVS or performer models around him cancel all of your positive flips. So suddenly English Ivan is not able to summon anymore unless you have a crow and use a soul stone. So uh, it became a lot more difficult. And uh, in the end, my opponent played really well, uh, was able to locked down English Ivan with an intrepid emissary towards the end of the game and managed to kill my nocturne that was carrying the ball to where English Ivan received the ball and was engaged by the intrepid emissary and couldn't get rid of it, so he could no longer shadow jump either. So he's just kind of stuck there where he is because he couldn't place, and uh, I couldn't pull off the last movements I needed at the end of the game in order to try to uh, pull out a win, so uh, it ended up being a one-point loss, uh, and it was a pretty big swing. But uh, so ended my thoughts of playing English Ivan throughout the rest of this tournament, and I decided the rest of this was going to be fun. So uh, that's how my round two went. Nice. Well, so two of us up, two of us down, and uh, we can we'll see how it goes in round three. Um, so who who wants to introduce round three? I think Andre should introduce round three being our guest. Well, of course. Well, uh, for round three, it was flank deployment with recover evidence as the strategy. Uh, and the schemes were breakthrough, vendetta, runic binding, let them bleed and catch and release. 
for round three, this was finally the first round where the errata dropped before I played the game. Uh, so my crack cocaine habit of dreamer finally came to an end, but I got to return to my true first love, Nikima. And uh, I was up against Jamie Varney, uh, one of the strong players out of the British meta. Uh, and he was on Rezzers. So I ended up locking Nikima into his Kirai. Uh, and Nikima, generally speaking, really likes this matchup. Black Blood doesn't do favors for Kirai. And um, the method by which Nikima deals damage, which is big, chunky focus attacks, uh, does well into ghosts. So I was fairly confident being in this matchup. But uh, it did end up being a lot closer of a game than I wanted it to be. Uh, I chose catch and release since matures are really good catch and release targets. They're likely to live. They're likely to get where they need to go. And uh, it that's actually uh, it worked out for me on that one. I scored two points for catch and release, and then let them bleed because you know Nephilim will eventually get everything below half just by right of black blood. And uh, I only ended up getting one point for that uh, by the end of the game. But it ended up being very close because at the end of turn two. Uh, I, had I had dove hard with Nikima and she died at the bottom of turn two. And I was not sure I was going to be able to pull out of that nosedive, but I did uh, because Harridan and Matures are bad dudes. And I got a lot of summons off with uh, Black Blood pustuling into the middle of Kirai's crew. Um, and then Harridan taking splat bad attacks worked out pretty well. Um, I never actually ended up killing Kirai, but I just kept engaging Kirai's stuff and... Uh, you know, covering recover evidence markers with mature reach and stuff like that. There was also a key mistake that Jamie ended up making about partway through turn three, I want to say, in which he blew like three or four AP from Datsuba and I think Karai as well to, to bring down a mature, one of my two matures uh, at the time. Uh, and then he checked his scorecard and realized he brought down the wrong mature for Vendetta. Uh, oh no so it's like oh this is terrible and then it coincidentally it was also the mature that wasn't my catch and release mature so like oh all, no all the cards and effort expended and it ended up just like not scoring any points for him um so uh and you know props to him for being honest because i don't think i can see your schemes uh even in the app for like what you name for stuff but uh yeah so he ended up having to like run off to my deployment zone with Datsuba to just like score a breakthrough and then just kind of accepted that Herod and, and the matures were going to be able to score or the remaining mature and then you know the boys I was summoning and eating corpses with were going to be able to to close it out um so yeah it went 6-3 to me uh at the end of that game but it was it was dicey wow that impressive with losing your master on turn two so nice nice job and uh, pro pro tip in there: if you're playing masters like Dreamer or uh, Karai that rely on protected, uh, Black Blood is going to make you have a really bad day. It's definitely a tech that we get to get around. And I will say though that Black Blood is not even as cool as Shove Aside. Shove Aside to me is the reason that uh, protected ends up not being great because you'll you'll have that model that you'll keep behind to make sure Dreamer or Karai is safe. And you're like, all right, haha, here's, you know, this station or, you know, whatever, some tankier model. You're going to be like, all right, cool, flick. All right, you go over there. You can't protect this person anymore. And now I'm going to eat him. Um, it, it's especially funny using that against Karai because you can just shove spirits wherever you want to go. You they're can't so even like. In <laughs> they're so useful like that. I really appreciate that about them. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it was definitely a blow to the morale to lose Nikima late, like turn two. Uh, but, you know, sometimes she's just got to die for the greater good, and, and it worked out. 
we got to do the Nakima podcast at some point because, like, that's in those instances, uh, uh, as the opposite of when you play against uh, Nexus, it's like your vengeance, like, haha, you take a damage back, and you're like, okay, cool, you take another damage. Yep. I went up against uh, Neverborn Zoraida, uh, played by uh, David Goodman. Uh, this Zoraida matchup is like, obviously you're going to take Vernon and Wells into a Zoraida matchup. And probably, and in this case, couple it with the uh, Intrepid Emissary uh, to try to keep attacks off of... Uh, even though they... I don't believe if you redirect with the emissary attack, you get the benefit from the Vernon and Wells aura. Just the fact that you can keep the certain things off of off of Sovereign. Like if you was going to take Serena for the armor pen, uh, it's what, just Josh for for the benefit of those who don't know Vernon and Wells. What is what is the obvious uh, aura take that it's bringing? So Vernon and Wells has head in the clouds, three inch aura of. Uh, enemy model suffered negative flip to uh, action attack actions that target willpower or are resisted go. by willpower. So, so anti-obey. It yeah. is anti-obey tech. Uh, it's anti-lure tech. It's anti. It's anti a bunch of things that uh, that Zoretta can do to you to make your your day very unpleasant. Um, but as it turns out, that didn't matter greatly because the crew that my opponent brought was a. Uh, focus all of your obeys to obey a doppelganger that has duped one of Serena's abilities to just try to mow down your crew with either willpower or defense targeting armor ignoring attacks. So that was the style of crew that they were playing. Um, bring Also bring along Hinamatsu because Hinamatsu is another great model to obey. Uh, lots of attacks, positive flips, good damage. Um, I, in this case, went Vendetta on Mikhail versus Hinamatsu, uh, because I knew I wanted to get Mikhail up in Hinamatsu's face, uh, and it's possible to... And you you have pretty big, chunky damage that you could typically get some through on Hinamatsu, and frequently, unless they're expecting it, I wouldn't suspect them to stone to prevent one damage. They'll just be like, oh, three damage goes down to one, I'll take that one damage, and if that's the damage that would put you to scoring Vendetta... I, I feel as though you could you could pull off that little bit of trickery, um, and and breakthrough because Anya is just great at crapping out scheme markers wherever she wants them to go. Uh, so first turn, my opponent got their their doppelganger engine revved up, uh, had duplicated Serena's ranged attack, uh, and moved her in position to do some obeys to uh, to do some damage to Sovereign, who had moved up to up the board. Um, fortunately for me, Sovereign decided to top deck like a god. And even with his defense 4, managed to avoid both the uh, Obey attack and the second Obey attack uh, from their Mask Trigger uh, to, to stay standing. At which point I was able to throw Anya into her crew and have her uh, bounce Mikhail up into that mess. So now there are two models in almost in their deployment zone, uh, neither of which can be obeyed and also are preventing uh, Zoraida from obeying her own crew. It was set up around obeying her crew to do stuff to me and hostile work environment just shut that down. So uh, we did have a misplay uh, where 
I had charged the doppelganger and uh, my opponent didn't remember that neither of us remember that the doppelganger had disguised until the next turn. So I did get a, a free extra swing on the, on the doppelganger, but that had gone too far to go back, unfortunately. Uh, so with that, I was able to take the doppelganger a little bit more easily on the start of turn two, uh, get Serena down to having used her demise eternal and put a goodly chunk of damage into Hinamatsu by use of Bleeding Edge and uh, Union Buster to just shove them back and forth through terrain. Um, so everything sort of fell apart after that point. Uh, yeah, like I said, two models that can't be obeyed in your face at the start of turn two, while the rest of my crew just got to come in and murdercate things, uh, did not make for not make for a, a good time for the uh, Bayou Witch. Um, so I took that one uh, with a 8-1 victory. Hey, so, um, so for this round, it was actually a notably interesting map, I think. Um, this was a map where there was a river going through the entire middle of the board, kind of diagonal, and then a bunch of bridges across it. So... That, I was like, okay, I like this as an outcast player. Uh, I can shoot things. Uh, that's going to be interesting. So I was curious what I was going to be facing when I faced, finally, not explorers uh, at long last, uh, but uh, arcanists. So I was facing off against uh, Jeremy Peace, uh, who I've met and played with in person many times from the Carolina region. Great dude. Um he ended up declaring Karis. He was like, hey, I want to do like a last hurrah of GG1 with Karis uh, before I like go switch off to other stuff. And I figured at this point, I'm like, all right, I'm not, I'm out of the running for any kind of like realistic placing. So finally time to play Vix. Let's just, let's throw him down. Let's see what happens. Um, the errata had come out. So I had the option of the, the improved version of Big Jake. So I was like, all right, let's, let's do this. Let's throw in some VIX. Um, I took a relatively, uh, you know, standard sort of VIX list, uh, all the usual stuff. Um, and, and it worked out, it worked out surprisingly well. Um, they kind of, he, Jeremy had not played against a ton of VIX. So that I was able to use the psychological game a little bit to my advantage by kind of having them poised on the edge of coming in. Um, I was able to get some good movement going. Um, and I was able to send in a Vic turn one and take out the eternal flame. So the eternal flame, not a total linchpin, but a fairly important model to the Karis crew. Um, he thought, he had had everything protected by using the captain uh, to drop some uh, some concealing markers, but I was able to give the Vix the plus flip so they could cancel that and, and take it out. We did subsequently, like later in the game, realize this was a misplay because he forgot the captain has a damage reduction aura, which would have made me spend another AP. Probably would have ended up the same, but... Um, you know, I've never had a game of Alpha where you didn't realize after it that something somewhere on the line you were like messed up. 
Um, so slight asterisk to that. But uh, from then on, the Vicks pretty much just do what the Vicks did. Like they ran in, they just they just killed everything. Like they killed Karis, they killed uh, they killed uh, Borgman before he could activate on turn two. Um, just what like the wombo combo of the two of them like chain activating each other. Um, they were just able to, to do a lot of damage. Meanwhile, um, but Big Jake uh, had an interesting piece in here because he actually, I took Vendetta on him because I was like, all right, if he tries to die, he'll just bury and come back. That only works if he dies before the last turn. Um, so I, I almost did not score the point uh, at the end because he, he almost died, which would have caused him to be buried and just dead at the end of the game. Um, but the regen kept him going. Uh, but Jeremy made a valiant effort to try to, to try to stop me, but I was able to, to take the win on this one. So lots of fun. And maybe I'll play Vix again. I don't know. Maybe this will be the, the Vic and Von Chill uh, Power season. Hour. Yeah, exactly. Uh, going into my game, uh, once again, the rest of this uh, tournament was for fun. Decided to play Jedza because the last two, I like uh, English Ivan, I like Jedza, and I like uh, uh, Nexus and Explorer Society. They're the coolest uh, models, or the coolest crews. So decided to play Jedza into this, especially since it was a recover evidence game. There's a lot of killing involved uh, in the strats and schemes. And Jedza is particularly good about making it to where you don't kill her people. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I was once again uh, facing another uh, player from Spain. Uh, I've uh, collectively called they were, they were friends. I've collectively called them the Spanish Inquisition because they came in and uh, tormented me. Uh, he chose uh, <laughs> Von Schill, uh, of all people. And uh, See, for those, Von Schill, man. That's... Let, let me tell you, uh, Von Schill is particularly good against Jedza. And I've mentioned this to a couple of other people and they're like, well, how so? I'm like, well, because he runs in, grabs your guys, throws them outside the bubble and then just kicks the shit out of them. And you're like, oh, well, that that's a fun thing. Now, don't get me wrong. If the game would have been able to continue past turn five, like once I got my bubble up there, uh, his people just started dying from all of the hazardous terrain and like they were quickly getting wiped out. Uh, but at that point, it was a little too little, too late. And he made a clutch move. Uh, he breakthrough was in the uh, the scheme pool, and he took a, a free corman. And instead of doing anything else with him, he broke him off and did a dead sprint towards my deployment zone. And I'm like, that's his other scheme. He's got breakthrough. I turned Winston Finnegan around, went back over, used dirgeable ride, shoved him back over where he was. And then engaged him with Winston Finnegan, slowed him, and kind of stuck him there in the end. Uh, and I was like, he doesn't get any points from breakthrough. It's not going to happen. Turns out he didn't have breakthrough. He was literally just bluffing that scheme. And I was like, oh, oh, damn. <laughs> like, completely, like, uh, just <laughs> line and sinker. Hook line it. and sinker. And, uh, and, and that that one move is actually, it ended up, I lost by one. And that one move is what actually cost me the game because instead of moving Winston Finnegan over and stopping him from picking up one of the evidence markers, he instead, uh, I, you know, I wanted to, instead of denying 
uh, one point, I was denying two points. So, like, this is a smart move. No, no, it was a horrible move, and it cost me the game, and uh, that was really dumb on my part, and <laughs> I probably shouldn't have done it. But kudos to him. It was a great play, and, uh, yeah, getting shot by rockets uh, when you're trying to get up the board with Jedza and where your guys are all kind of a little low, and then having Von Schell come in and just start throwing your guys out of the way, not too fun. It didn't feel very good. It's the, it's the year of Von Kill. Look. Calling it now. Uh, he's, he, he's pretty good, uh, especially uh, he brought in the, the combo of uh, Hannah and Eric, where Hannah was hitting me for uh, seven points of damage, and then Eric was just smacking the crap out of me. Like He, he was pumping out a lot of damage. He didn't hit me very often, but when he hit, it hurt. Uh, yeah, Andre, what's up? Uh, I just wanted to give a shout out and say it's really great to actually hear about any instance ever of someone bluffing a scheme and it working out. Uh, it's been so long since anyone's bluffed anything and did not hear it just like, yeah, I didn't realize you weren't actually to do that, but actually like, nope, that definitely cost me the game is awesome. I, I, like even, even in, in throws your defeat, like that's a great game of Malfo right there. Absolutely. It was. And uh, I do miss and M2E. I realized that, uh, my gameplay has been slacking uh, because in M2E, we used to bluff schemes all the time. You would, uh, I don't even remember the name of it, where you had to have a scheme marker within three corners of the board. Power so ritual. the first, the first, uh, uh, like everyone would be like sticking a scheme marker there. And you're like, uh, does he have it or does he not? Is he bluffing this? Like those are parts of the game. And it's like, that was a clever move on his part. So kudos to him. There's one other thing I'd like to point out. Uh, specifically about the the gaining grounds uh, or the, the errata and how it changed things. Because I played my game post-errata as well. And the changes to Serena did have a, a meaningful bearing on this game. Uh, the, lo- the loss of two-inch reach meant that Mikhail could deny her the ability to attack my dudes because I could... Uh, block off the path to Mikhail and she could no longer reach him with her freaky tentacles that she inexplicably had. And the decrease from eight wounds to six is the difference between needing two min three attacks or three min three attacks to drop to uh, the demise eternal level. So the fact that I could get away with, with two shots to get her down to uh, having to burn uh, demise eternal is a is a substantive change even though it's not numerically that many so something to keep in mind when trying to deal with her in the future because she's still good it's just the changes do have an effect and you can you can plan around that they do and uh in this game i had been playing uh as i mentioned before i played english ivan the first two games i just grew accustomed to playing english ivan a ratted version. So this entire tournament, I never went above uh, too focused on anybody and I never uh, stacked, detracted and focused on English Ivan. It just, it's something that I had gotten used to of, you know, why switch over to the overpowered version when you know what's coming. So, um, but moving on to round four, uh, the missions here were uh, standard deployment with break the line uh, and the strat uh, schemes were deathbeds outflank bait and switch hidden martyrs and claim jump now uh keep in mind this is now using the new gaining ground two rules uh which we switched over in the middle of uh you know the the tournament which uh some people are caught a little bit uh off guard with that but uh you know uh it, it was good and coming and you know we might as well embrace it uh yeah go ahead owen 
And and I'll just say I was looking at the the packet to refresh my memory of what the map looks like. And I so the the name of this round was Remember the Alamo and remember Nick from Texas. Um I, I literally just realized that he made this map with the cobblestones on it in the shape of Texas. Like if you go look at the pack, what uh, man. it is it is the out, it is the outline of the state of Texas. So clever Clever job, guys. <laughs> Wait, hold up. I got to see this. I, what? He was so excited putting these maps together. He, because he had, he had shown me previews of each map. And so when he had gotten to this one for come and get it, I think is the name of the map. He was like, so how do you like this one? And I was like, oh man, I'm so excited. You know, they, <laughs> they can't deny us now. We're on a world stage. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. You did. They did. Oh my God! Right? Oh, that's so great. I just, uh, I just want to point out that this was uh, some uh, hidden interference uh, by the organizers that uh, they gave uh, Andre the hidden <laughs> morale boost. Oh yeah, of seeing Texas there, and that's what determined the outcome of. The I didn't realize that there was home field advantage going on here. Absolutely. <laughs> but this is the level of bespoke production that we're getting from the uh Malifaux world series right here so uh, uh so i'll go real quick because uh, it will be very fast so for this round my plan was let's let's live the von chill dream and uh and bring him but uh my opponent was in poland which meant we were on a pretty significant time difference delay and we couldn't play until the very last day, the Sunday of that week. Uh, and his, I, according to him, his dog ate his router, which sounds like a silly, like dog ate your homework excuse. But like the poor guy was like, the stores are closed. I can't fix my internet because like everything, like at his time, it was like after six or whatever on a Sunday. So we did not end up getting to play. Um, I hope, I hope that you got your internet fixed, my friend. Um, but uh, in general, though, it has been awesome. Like we had Jeff played someone from Spain. Uh, I played two uh, people from Spain, two people from Spain. I played a gentleman named Alexander from Sweden who ended up uh, placing fifth and was a super nice dude. Um, so really cool to be able to, to talk to folks that there's like no way that you'd really ever have an event with them um except maybe like one of the uk international hey we may have an event in slovakia sometime you never know yeah there you go um all right so but so that was me um jeff you want to talk about your round and then we'll we'll let josh and andre give the two sides of their final match for the top table uh, yeah, it's going to be hard to follow up your riveting match of uh, <laughs> nothing. Uh, I was playing actually against Landon uh, in the final round, and uh, Landon and he and I were both like, "Yeah, this, this doesn't matter for anything. Like, we're already out. Uh, you know, we both wanted to play fun. I was going to play Nexus, and Landon had this great idea that." He has a theory that Shenlong is actually good against almost everything in Explorer Society. Now, I can't say everything in Explorer Society, but I can tell you Shenlong against Nexus is really freaking good. Because Nexus relies on a couple of ways of getting Parasite tokens, and that's basically how Nexus plays. They're very reliant on that Parasite token. But between Chi, 
uh, and butterfly jump that was on a couple of his models, you're getting one attack off uh, usually, and that attack is never going to hit because if you're hitting with your uh, 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 shambling nests, they're stat four. And when you're trying to hit a stat seven or in some cases eight, it's not going to happen. Uh, so in this game, I literally did not get a parasite token on anybody. Uh, and then uh, the other reliable way of getting out a parasite token is to kind of stack poison onto something, and then uh, Meredith can just reliably put a parasite token on that person. Unfortunately, Shen Long, uh, it's, I don't know if it's at the beginning of his turn, but he gets to just randomly take a condition on himself and give it to something else. So he would just take my poison and give it right back to Meredith Stanley. And I'm like, oh, Okay, well, that's a thing that's happening. And uh, the, the final nail in my coffin, and uh, I apologize to Landon for this, uh, I will never say that card flips cost you a game because it's your skill that matters more than anything. But in some games, they don't help you. And I had to take a screenshot of after I had gone through half of my deck and had not seen a single card above nine. And I actually spread this... Uh, the screenshot around, uh, and he was like, "Oh, that like I in in round four, I believe it was. I f just flipped my deck over to him. I'm like, so this is what I'm working with. And he's like, yeah, your turn's gonna be shit. And I'm like, yeah, that's. And then I kept flipping cards, thinking like, nope, that there's no way that this is gonna keep going. And literally in that whole turn, I saw I, I flipped about three quarters of my deck. I saw one face card the entire turn and he literally just demolished everything like uh we were tied up in turn three at the end of turn three and then turn four like everything on my side of the board except two models were just dead and i was like okay well that's a game that happened and let's forget that this ever happened but if you're looking for counters to nexus shin long does a great job make your opponent's deck cold and you win <laughs> i just want to point out that random number generation does allow for clustering so you're just demonstrating that effect to mm, exquisite levels so thank you yeah for that. And, and there's nothing i'm not taking anything away from landon's skill he played a really good game uh and the counter pick for of shen long uh I, I i i'm stressing this for all you players out there that think nexus is really broken shen long is like I would consider this to be a counter to Nexus because all he has to do is be like, yeah, I'm going to use Chi and your, uh, um, your shambling nests are basically useless at that point. And the, between that and butterfly jump where you're only going to get one attack off, it's, uh, it's really difficult. And he has a lot of card draw between, uh, he was using uh, Sensei Yu uh, with uh, Hurricane, or was it with the Hurricane Punch? I don't remember, but uh, it, it lets him draw like two or three cards every punch. And like there's, and there was a lot of card draw that was going on. So him having to discard for Nexus's uh, Hive Strike was irrelevant. Uh, you'd be like, yeah, okay, you hit me, cool. Discard a card, I don't care. I'll just draw more cards in a, like when I activate again. And uh, the and then Deathbeds is the scheme that he chose, and with being able to move. Uh, his own models up and take the markers with them. Like Shenlong's really good at deathbed. So it was a, uh, a game that Nexus was, uh, didn't do so well in. And unfortunately that's my last Nexus game for a while. And she goes out on the bottom. So, um, luckily I actually got to spectate the entire game of Josh and Andre's game. And it was a really good game. I, and this is my opinion. I think the game came down to 
a single upgrade that Andre took that uh, that turned the the tide, or the, not not really, but that was the the initiative flip was I think the the big thing that turned the game. But I'm gonna let them talk to you about it. All right, who wants to go first with your pregame thoughts? I'll uh, leave it to you. Well, I can give a a capsule description of my interpretation of the game. Is that okay? Uh, if you have bad luck and inferior play, you can usually recover from one of those two. But if you have both, you kind of deserve to lose. And that's sort of what I ended up doing in this this game. I I had been stressing out about this, and I was trying to figure out what to bring against uh, a Nakima crew. And I settled on a tech pick of the Grave Goo because they can remove a model from the board for a while and they can get around some of the two-inch reach. And I had not played with that one very much. So I did a poor job unpacking and did not get my, my models into position. And my opponent capitalized on that excellently and had some really top-notch luck to... Uh, just clear Sovereign out with a uh, young Nephilim getting the onslaught and then severe twice to take it from full to dead in one activation on one AP on the charge. So starting off on the back foot and then my opponent leveraged uh, the the new improved interpretation of the rules surrounding Enraged by Insolence to murder his own models or use when I murdered his models to uh, pump more attacks into Nakima or more attacks from Nakima. So some very top-notch use of, of uh, the abilities uh, to capitalize on the mistakes that I've made through that. Uh, but I want to hear what he thought of this. I don't know how much you've actually gone up against Anya and what you were thinking about that. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm actually rather scared of Anya um, because on one hand, like, like kid aside, anyone who's been maining something and not just maining something, but crushing it up to this point definitely has something going for them. And so when I had seen you had taken, obviously you're taking your rounds to get to the top table on uh, round four with exclusively Anya, I was already like, Oh man, he's got the sauce. And uh, so I spent a lot of time panicking about this game as well. Um, so and then I also had to adapt to the new strategy, break the line, because uh, normally my my favorite way to play Nakima is double mature, uh, henchman of choice, whether it's Candy or Harridan. In this case, it was Harridan, and then the Blackwood Shaman handout focus. Uh, and I had to drop a mature with Ancient Pact and break it down into two youngs, because uh, I felt like I needed the body count to move the markers around. And uh, honestly, the young picks extremely worked out. Um, I know that for that turn one, when Sovereign came up and tossed the marker and then I ran up and stabbed him to death, uh, I was doing the math in my head already, right? Because I dropped him down to, I think, three wounds and he had armor two. So the Neg Severe was awesome, but I was like, all right, as long as I burn a focus, deal moderate, he'll take two. And then I hit him again, take one defense four. I got him in the bag. That was that was my whole plan, turn one. It worked out even a little better than I thought it was going to. Um, but... As as you had mentioned in that in that moment in that game, uh, once you overextended with Anya to take revenge, uh, I, I was like, "Oh man, oh I think I might have him," uh, and it was it was still absolutely a slog up to that point. 
right? Because, you know, Mikhail came up and you had started burying Nakima with the grave goo. And I was really just like rude, you know, like I, I, she needs to be on the table and I want her to splash on stuff and her falling off the table every turn was actually pretty annoying. Um, I will say though, that it did feel like, like a secret Masaki hole uh, because, you know, Nakima, not by her own will, of course, but just kept falling off the table before like Mikhail would activate. And I was like, okay, sure. I'll be yeah. here. Um, but yep. nope. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think there are a couple of, if I, I, I didn't get a chance to try this one out. Um, if so, I may have, may have picked up on that, but I think there would have been some better flex picks for that. Uh, I think the archivist, uh, uh, for the initiative, always solid and willpower range attack, always very solid. Um, the tide caller, uh, toss is really good. And, uh, the ability to reposition, enemy models with the mask trigger uh they're still one up on stat on attacking nakima and i can use that to move around uh his other dudes but i did not take those yeah no it, basically uh a lot of anya comes down to unpacking properly and there's a lot of moving parts i think nakima unpacks a lot more elegantly uh because nakima it's doesn't just, have to unpack because it's, it's they fly over everything she's yep. uh, in, in my opinion a incredibly good pick for uh break the line just because interact move interact is a th- is on your entire crew is a really solid capability that is just a really excellent feature to have on on a crew for a break the line so i think she's a just a all around like top notch pick uh for for the strategy um i will say i mikhail did a admirable job uh, of using flush with cash to try to deny some uh, attacks from Nikima. And I don't think flush with cash is broken because it costs stones. It costs two stones to apply or to, to, to take, and then one stone each time you want to activate it. So you really want to use it on master or in, in situations where stopping that one attack is a really big deal. Like stopping one attack from Nikima potentially stops two attacks from Nikima stops, uh, messing up the positioning so it's a lot more than just preventing the damage so i think it was still a a worthwhile take and and uh not something i would always take and i haven't always taken it on mikhail but against makima i think that was the right pick and i think it did keep anya alive for a little bit longer uh in that situation and I want to throw in here, uh, some people may think that this is broken because they did weird interactions where, like, they took it on an intrepid eff- effigy or emissary and then passed their <laughs> attack off to the emissary. Like, you can't do that stuff. Uh, the other thing is, if you go to attack a model with it, it's they choose to do it when they declare the action. So if you were planning on using focus... Uh, you you don't use the focus like it's your focus doesn't get used. You just the attack doesn't happen. Your focus like you declare that you're going to use your focus afterwards. So like the stone gets used, your attack goes away. Your next attack, which since you can only use it once per activation, can then use that focus to get that. You know, it's not as broken as some people play it as, where it's like, oh no, you declared focus on that, it's gone now. That's not how that works. So just make sure you're playing it correctly. And also, thank God it's only once per turn. If it was once per activation, I would be a very sad boy. Uh, oh, sorry, oh, oh, once yeah. per turn. Sorry, yes. yeah, yeah, just making sure. Uh, but I do want to speak on that for a bit. I think that flush with cash is fine in crews that don't summon. Uh, I would say that flush with cash when you see it in a Nexus crew or an Ivan crew becomes a lot more frustrating 
uh, because both of those have models that can die at, at a whim. That is to say, you know, if you kill one of my, uh, you know, eyes and ears or whatever, like no one cares. And you probably have two flush with caches on the table anyway to protect either the, you know, archivist or Anya or I'm sorry, um, Dr. Meredith or whatever combination of two models you want that on. And then you're just like, all right, and there's two soul stones for me and a card for Meredith. And you're like, ah, I really don't, I really don't feel healthy having that happen. Um, so, but in this instance, I think it was a, a masterful selection on Mikhail to, you know, rob Nakima of one of her attacks in a big turn. Uh, and that did happen. And it was something that I had forgotten about. And I was like, Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, crap. So all the math I was doing for three attacks, isn't going to work out. Um, so it, there, there was definitely a bit of mental scrambling once that had occurred. Um, and, and I, I agree it was, it was very well used here. Uh, but it, it was definitely a, um, a, a skill choice, uh, that I appreciate. Yes. If I had unpacked the emissary better and had him up in a relevant location, then you can start deflecting even more attacks away from Anya, which is what I should have done. But I, a fool, uh, did that thing I always tell myself not to do of overextending Anya, and I hundred percent, million percent overextended Anya. So I, I yeah, absolutely deserve the loss in that, and it was it was handed to me quite quite deftly. Well, so, you guys didn't know about this because uh, uh, Josh wasn't paying attention. Uh, we have a chat for the Capital City crew, and I was calling the plays. Uh, to uh, both Owen and Herman letting them know what was going on in the game. And I was like, Josh just moved uh, Sovereign down here. The young Nephilim are going to go after him. It's, it's going to happen. And then sure enough, there, there goes the young Nephilim shooting across the board. I had no one expected the first young Nephilim to just rip through Sovereign and kill him. And the, like that just was not something anyone expected. But uh, I was curious how this was going to go because I know... You, you expected like, it, didn't I, you? I, I, I did. Uh, I, <laughs> so that opening turn, I had three kings in hand. And one of them, uh, yeah, one of them was the mask, and I was like, "Oh, oh man, I've got this in the bag." But uh, yeah, reading the board, you're not like, "Oh, for sure, young Nephilim takes sovereign, no problem." Like it didn't look that way. I definitely agree. I was curious how this was going to go, though, because I know Nakima and uh, particularly Andre plays a lot with the uh, the triggers uh, that the Nephilim use, and Anya hands out stunned like candy. So I was like, "How is this going to go?" Because can't declare triggers when stunned and like it, it was really interesting how that was going to work out but uh it turned out that uh the nephilim were just uh particularly faster and the stunned didn't actually happen so uh once sovereign went down that was uh that was a pretty clutch moment and then i think it was like turn three or four one of the two uh, uh andre uh he had a king in his hand and uh he went for initiative he's like nope the initiative's mine and there's no way that you can beat it because i have ancient pact and uh from that point on it was just nakima activates and i'm going to kill like two or three of your models and that's the end of it yeah in my internal post-mortem of the game i was like yeah no the stun would have been a a, a uh a better pick in some of those situations but you know you die you learn yeah sometimes that initiative flip is is majorly consequential. Like in my game around three with Jeremy, I held the red Joker to save for initiative so that I could do the double Vix rush in. And like that, that kind of sealed, sealed the deal there. It was like, Oh, well crap. All right. I, I guess all my guys. <laughs> so, yeah, I did want to mention though. Uh, I feel like, so the early game turn one, for 
Anya and Nakima, I think was defined by uh, and why you felt like you were unpacking poorly in the early game, I think, is usually because the reach of the Nephilim makes people afraid to leave their ball. Um, so, you know, you have your intrepid emissary, Phalanx, moving up. But if you, as soon as you leave the boundaries of the two-inch take-the-hit pride lands, like, the Nephilim can capitalize on it immediately. Um, and so, like, trying to aggressively move up to the board into something that requires it, like, break the lines where you have to move up and spread out, um, it can definitely cause a lot of hesitation. And I think that was what initially was going on uh, before the incensed rage of uh, seeing Sovereign go down brought, brought Anya into the fray. It wasn't even just... So, uh, that was part of it, but... Actually, the reason I thought I unpacked the emissary poorly was I should have just double walked with him. Like, even like I shouldn't have used him to try to move up the grave goo. I should have just double walked with him uh, to get him into a into a, a better position for protecting the crew, the models that I can move up. Because if I double walk, if I had just taken him up the board farther, I would have been able to move the rest of my crew up the board in relative safety. Uh, so that was, but um. It wasn't just revenge on the, the the Nephilim. I also didn't want you to be able to casually uh, push the or throw my marker back. That was actually a larger portion than than simply revenge. I mean, the revenge is not like not zero, but like also to to uh, mitigate your ability to uh, just push it back, uh, throw the uh, the break the line marker back into my crew that or back onto my sense. side of the table. So. Yes, not entirely revenge. There was nominally more uh, more consideration thrown to it. But yeah, yeah. I think the emissary, if he had just double walked, he would have been in a better position to influence the board uh, on a number of different levels. Uh, but I didn't do that. Well, as an Akima player, I can say with confidence that my only motivation would have been revenge. I would have been enraged, if you will. Uh, at the by some the by someone's like someone's insolence, I would imagine. Exactly. <laughs> yes, game mechanically enraged by insolence, <laughs> not just just casually enraged by insolence. I will uh, say though that that was my like my MVP for round four definitely goes to uh, what did I think I named was it I think it was Young Money uh, that the young Nephilim that had came in and just top decked onslaught both hits and took Mikael from like seven health to hard to kill in one activation. And I was like, okay, this works yeah, to no, me. That, that mature, that uh, young Nephilim was, uh, was on point. That, that guy, hundred percent MVP. Uh, absolutely. No questions asked. Oh, God. MVP, and then MVP you're, and then you're in the black blood. So you can't even hit him back. Like, cause if you do, you die. Yeah. Nope. I think I, I got Mikhail out of there with something. No, you chose not to activate Mikhail. And in that round, and you could have at least activated him to either move him out, but you went with somebody else first, and Mikhail didn't get to go anymore on that round because he could just die right after. That yeah. was uh, that was pure luck, by the way. Well, so because the plan was obviously, you know, the Blood Hunter ran into the Surveyor's Aura to die for the glory of Nakima and feed her an attack, and but by that point, like I was out of cards in hand, so I was like attacking a defense six model. I had to stone for the plus flip just to feel safe about it. Uh, to get Nikima's attack in on that one health Mikhail, because I was like, I can't, I can't risk that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that that was it for me right there. That that play. Yeah. I want to throw something out there uh, for the for the listeners here. Uh, there's something that happened at the end of this game that I thought was very telling of top players that play this game. 
when uh, Josh said, you know what, uh, I can't win this game. We're going to call it, I think it was like the end of turn four or whatever. Uh, they were going over what would have happened in the game. And uh, Andre at one point was like, uh, Josh was like, yep, I'm going to lose by this amount. And Andre was like, no, no, no. What are your schemes? You would have gotten this point because I wouldn't have stopped it. Uh, and that is a very, like, the people that aren't very good at this game are going to be like, yeah, I'm going to try to inch every point that I can. But the good players know they're good players. And you're like, no, respect to my opponent. You would have gotten this because I wouldn't have stopped you for it. Like, don't be that guy. Like, give your opponent credit. And, like, I was impressed by that uh, the, that uh, sportsmanship. I appreciate that. So, yeah. Well, th- so there we have it, folks. The, the April Fool's Tournament, uh, you heard it here. So if you want to get in on the action, um, sign-ups for June are now open. I will say, if you want to be able to lay claim to a large percentage of the victories of a particular master, uh, there was a, a period of time where I got to lay claim to every single Anya win that was made in the the Malfo Vassal uh, World Tournament. Like all three of them, those are mine. Uh, someone else has got one since then. But my my brief shining moment was looking at the stats and being like, "Wait, there's only X number of wins for her. I've won X times." There you go. Well, so, with gaining grounds too, you have a new chance because it reset. Well, I mean, they're they're keeping all the standings, but like you could be the first one to score points with a given master uh, in this season. So. Anya's super fun. Between both, I think Andre and Josh will both agree. If you get really good with one master, even going into scheme pools, it may not be perfect for it. If you know that master front front and back, you're going to do well with that master, even in bad scheme pools with it. So if you're new to Malifaux, pick a master that you like, learn it well, even if it's a dark horse pick, uh, as Josh showed, like not many people are playing Anya and Anya, Anya can pull her punch or put out some, some damage. Uh, same thing. Like not a lot of people play Nakima and Andre has been maining her for a long time and is, you know, wrecking face with Nakima. So if you have that dark horse pick and you just play and play and get good at it, you can take it to a tournament and be playing at the top table with them. So what, a, so I guess, for some quick closing thoughts, um, do you all, so obviously we've been doing Basel um, because of the format of the pandemic, uh, not the format, the, the pandemic that's happening. Um, do you all think you're going to continue playing Basel uh, once things sort of open up more? Like what's your, what's your outlook on the future? Uh, I can jump in on that one right away. Yeah. Uh, I think Vassal is the best way to get games of practice Malifaux in that there is. Um, I was an avid every week at Dragon's Lair, my local gaming store, playing games, just trying to get uh, familiarity with models going. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you'll spend five hours getting there and back. You know, I'm going to Austin, stuff like that, set up, break down, you know, chat and all that. With Vassal, you can be like, hey, I'm looking for games. Someone hits you up. You get a whole game in from the comfort of your home in like two and a half hours. And that is so handy. And at all times of the night, like, you know, if I'm at one o'clock in the morning, you know, you have people in Poland or whatever looking for games at that point. Like that is so handy. Uh, I know that as soon as uh, the, as soon as the Rona started affecting our lives, I was getting in like three or four games a week for months. 
Um, and so I got so much Malathorin because of Vassal, and I think I'm going to continue to play it for that reason. I also know that some of my my favorite players to play into, my boys out in Houston, uh, Brian Bauer and Nick Westbrook represent. Uh, I really only get to play them consistently with uh, the power of Vassal, so I'm definitely keeping Vassal in my arsenal, even once we return to whatever sense of normalcy there will be. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to be doing the the same thing. Uh, not at, nothing is a substitute for getting with your friends, drinking some beers, and uh, you know, uh, shuffling some cards and playing a, a game of Malifaux. But at the same time, uh, I also uh, have been working on my uh, you know unpack method, where you know, like, how would I deploy in this situation? Well, you can figure out, you know, you know the inches, the, those things don't change. So if you're in this kind of deployment zone, how would you unpack? And that's how I came up with my Ivan unpack of getting all those models up the board. I was like, and at the same time, you can also basically play that first uh, couple of activations, like what cards do I need to look for in my hand to ensure that I'm able to unpack how I want to with the right statuses and things like that those are things that you can figure out and then you go into your first turn and you're very confident and i think that's where a lot of uh, malifo games slow down is people aren't confident in their play and so they slow down and have to think a lot and you know something didn't go how they planned well this allows you to get more comfortable with the game and to figure things out in a more progressive level yeah 100 percent. and i will say too um doing beta testing, it's so useful to be able to not have to go figure out a proxy or play with just like a base with like junk written on it or like this model counts as this model. Like you can just be like, yes, this, I I have access to every model in the game in my electronic wonderland. And then I can take screenshots to give to the developers. Like, so for battle reports where that's really important, uh, it makes it easy. So I'm definitely keeping Vassal in my rotation. Uh, I, honestly, I'm going to I'm going to be so sad when I no longer have access to auras when I'm playing <laughs> in real life. <laughs> oh my like, god. <laughs> like whoever whoever first pointed that out was like a god of how you how useful those auras are. I'm gonna struggle so much watching people over measure in real life again. Like yeah. uh yeah, and, uh, l- let me tell you, uh, can we spend a little small little time to praise the dude that made the undo button? Because uh, I can say when in testing, uh, it is so great to be able to be like, oh, shit, we read that rule wrong or we, we played that wrong. Hold on. Let's undo. Right click and reshuffle. Boom. What would have taken like 10 minutes before is done in seconds. Like, thank you. Whoever made that undo button. Uh, shuffling. Like playing Masaki. Like having to be like, all right, cool. I use abandon honor, and now I have to shuffle like with my hands. Like I have to right, <laughs> I can't just right click and it's shuffled for me. Like what is this? What is this hellish meat space that we in, we inhabit on a regular basis? And why are we even there? No, I, 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 I think it, it will. Uh, sorry, uh, it will undo a lot of the uh, your opponent right-clicking on your discard pile and being like, hold on, what cards? Are... Okay, yep, the red junker's already been used. Yep, yep. Go it's... ahead, Josh, sorry. Yeah. See, seeing people when it is no longer a, a terrifying experience or a decadent luxury um, will be exciting, but I think having the ability to get more games against more people is is will... I think persist 
even once things open back up. It's it's just such a great opportunity to, and there are great people playing around the world at all hours of the night. There there are people on the the uh, Balfo Vassal Discord that are all over the world, so you can always find a game against like truly top notch opponents there at any time of the day. And I also would say that it's interesting to see Vassal as kind of the great bridger of divides in terms of like what metas do i i think that that's been one of the most interesting things when vassal start first started becoming like the way a lot of people play malfo exclusively is that you know people out of texas we have no one that plays arcanists really like we have like one guy that would play it occasionally but most of us were like never born in 10 thunders players and we're like yeah they're definitely the best factions and then you have people who come out of the east coast or russia or poland or whatever and be like oh no actually the most dumb thing is is arcanists or you know it's the somer build or whatever um, it, it, it kind of cross-pollinates all of the metas, and I think it actually leads to a pretty holistic understanding of the game, just because you see so many different approaches to the game that you think wouldn't change geographically, but definitely do. Yeah, and I think this up this current month's tournament, which I, I didn't get in because I have other tournaments and playtesting and the hellish experience of work to deal with, but this is the first tournament where they're allowing uh, two masters, multi-master crews. And this Boo. may be the grandest experiment uh, in Malifaux to come out in, in recent memory because there's a lot of disparate opinions as to how good they are, how the change to how they're announced are going to affect it, yada, yada, yada. And it's just none of it's been tested extensively. And this may be one of the first really large-scale tests. I know they did some in... in in the UK right at the beginning and people have done it here. I've played a couple of multi-master games, but I don't think many people have really done serious multi-master to the point of, of learning it. Come on down to Texas. We've been playing no holds barred since the start. Your boy got Nakima Lilith games in and it was just not I mean, as good. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, I'm not saying that people haven't done it. It's like, I don't think anyone's like done it exclusively or done it in a tournament setting on a very large data set. The large data set is, I think, going to be a really interesting well, thing. To on the data, though, sorry, Jeff, I, I have to put in a, I don't know, a commiseration or like a, I feel your pain for the guys out there running the Tableau server who now have to deal with, oh, wait, no, there's two values for master? <laughs> like, you just blew up their whole data model. <laughs> I just want to point out that Andre... Uh, just said that he was playing around and testing like something that was wrong on three different fucking levels. Number one, it was multi-master. Number two, he resurrected fucking Dead Man's Hand Lilith. <laughs> and number three, fucking Nakima and Lilith, like, Nakima's the one that fucking killed Lilith. Like, what the hell? It's just wrong on all levels there. <laughs> I dragged her corpse back to serve my purpose, and when I decided it wasn't worth it, I put her back in the box. It was so nice. That is some cold shit right there. That, that blood is, is ice cold and black. That is, I, that's pretty funny though. <laughs> uh, I will throw out one more shout out for Vassal. Uh, uh, a uh, gentleman reached out to Owen and I, uh, wanting he, he was brand new to Malifaux and wanted to uh, get into the game. And uh, Owen played a, uh, a game against him and he played, he wanted to play Pandora. And I kind of helped to coach him as he was playing Pandora while he was playing on Vassal, so, and uh, uh, he was somewhere in the central U.S., but uh, we were able to kind of 
introduce a gentleman to the game and uh the game didn't go so well because you know owen's a good player but uh it it was good that you know he could have somebody that uh, understood the master explaining how it worked while he played uh, while at the same time playing against somebody that was helpful and uh it's just really interesting mechanics that you can use and he would be able to uh show show me what cards he had in his hand so i could help him plan out you know his activations and how he should work and uh, he got a good understanding of how pandora works from that so uh you know that's the really good shout out for vassal for that yeah it was there was actually that was Thank you for bringing that up. I totally forgot about that, but that was that was such a fun experience because it was doing the demo game. Like I enjoy doing demo games, like teaching people how to play. Uh, but having Jeff there, because I don't, I've played against Pandora, but I've never played Pandora. So like, it's a complicated master. So if he's like, "What do I do?" I'd be like, "I, I don't know." Shockwave me, and I bad stuff happens. Like, <laughs> so having Jeff there was super helpful because. I could just focus on like explaining core rules and Jeff would be like, all right, so here's how your stuff interacts with this. Um, so. Yeah. Specifically, like uh, he like, showed me his hand so I could tell him like, look, in this instance, uh, baby Cade is in a position. Uh, normally a lot of players would just charge with baby Cade, but you have this card in your hand and I don't remember like 13 of masks or something. I'm like, where you can lure him to you. And then get an attack off because you gain fast and you actually gain more uh, AP from doing that than uh, rather than just charging in, put, potentially putting you out of place and putting your model in risk. So now you're bringing them to you, but you have never you haven't cost you haven't cost yourself anything. And you know it was easier to explain those type of things uh, as if like I were playing the crew uh, without like it's really hard playing a demo game. Uh, with somebody where you're like, here, let me explain to you how you should work to beat me. When at the same time you're like, and how am I supposed to play against you when I'm telling you exactly? That's really awkward, but it really helped out in this case. Yeah. So there, so there you have it. Uh, any closing thoughts? Last, last plugs, anything you want to plug on the, on the pod, Andre? Uh, I just want to give another shout out to my boy, Nick Westbrook for putting together the April fools tournament. Uh, it was a ton of fun. Uh, I got to enjoy repping Texas in the final round with the big W and, uh, I, uh, I look forward to more vassal games and more in-person games as things start coming back. Fantastic. Well, there you have it. Thanks for joining us, Andre. Uh, great to have you on. We'll have you back and we'll have to do a, an Akima episode, uh, in the future. And, uh, Till next time, thank you all for listening. Let us know in uh, in the Weird Place post what you thought of this episode and what you want to see in the future. Till next time. Peace out. Peace. See you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Capital City Crew Podcast. We hope you tune in next time.